Go ahead, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5. Barely got into the Sermon on the Mount um, last week. We looked at the first block of text um, where the Lord is saying how blessed His children are and then describing the characteristics of what a, a child of God is. One who is able to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek and humble, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to even be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You can't do any of that by yourself. That doesn't come naturally. Your carnal mind, your carnal body doesn't do any of those things. So if you were able to experience any and all of those, because there's been a miracle of grace done in your life. And you are blessed. Short term and long term. So the admonition is that we're to let our light shine. And all those things. To have that flavor, the outward appearance from what's been done within. Let it be shown. Not so we can gain notoriety but that others may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Alright. Picking up in verse 17, Jesus will continue saying, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass... One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. We'll just pause there for a second. Jesus is about to teach in a way that they'd never heard before. This was not how the scribes and the Pharisees taught, because all they could do was relay their understanding of the Old Testament. Jesus is about to give them additional information. But he's clarifying from the outset, I'm not coming to lower the law, to take it away, to, to destroy it, but rather he's the only one who is going to be able to fulfill it perfectly. And the reason you and I don't stand condemned under the law anymore is because he fulfilled it on our behalf. Okay? The law is that, that standard that none of us could live up to, and that's the purpose of the law, is to let you know you are unrighteous. And you can't meet the mark. But He can. So He's not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That word fulfill means to cram it full. All right. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, Till all be fulfilled. Alright, so what's a jot or a tittle? A jot is apparently the tenth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. They call it the iota. Basically, our equivalent is imagine a little i. It's the smallest letter, the smallest number of strokes or anything. You know, the W's got a lot of swoops in it, right? Just a little lowercase i. Right? That's, that's the uh, jot. What's the tittle? Tittle is the smallest little mark as a part of a letter. You know that little dot over our eye? That'd be the tittle. Right? So the idea here is that the least little bit fraction of what God said isn't going to pass away until it's all fulfilled. All right? All right? So it's going to stand till heaven and earth pass. All right? You won't need the law when heaven and earth have passed. Okay? There's no more need to show unrighteousness anymore because there's already going to be after the judgment, there'll be the separation. And those who are have the imputed blood of Jesus put upon them are righteous. And there will only be righteousness there in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? So, remember his audience is primarily Jews. And so he is going to start by addressing the rank 
hypocrisy among their teachers, leaders. Okay? Verse 19. Whosoever, therefore, because of what just came before, whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these, the least of the commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That least means puny, tinus, you know, small, scale of small to great. The lowest of the pecking order will be the one who lives in a way that breaks a commandment and then teaches others it's okay to do it. Okay. The flip side is, but whosoever shall do, it means obey, and teach men, teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right? So it's that leading by example. This is not what the religious leaders then were known for. They didn't lead by example. They'd live in a way that it kind of looked like they were doing right, but really they were just full of it, full of ravenous sins. It was like a, a whitewashed sepulcher. I don't know if you've been to New Orleans or whatever. They have above-ground tombs, water tables so high, have your casket floating. So they just put them above ground. Right? Well, that's like going out there with a pan of cake and painting that thing, and oh, it's so pretty, it's whitewashed. What is it still? It's still a tomb. Right? It doesn't change the character. Alright? So, there is hypocrisy in what appears to be done, and then what's coming in from the heart. The heart of that man who's dead, it's still just that bones inside that, that box, alright? Nothing good, nothing profitable. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. Alright, so leading by example, living it and teaching it. For I say unto you, I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed, that exceed means superabound above, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Alright? This verse right here, this is the theme for the rest of the chapter. This is the pattern it's going to talk about. It's going to give the superficial, external standard of righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees have, because they, they had what appeared to be a righteousness. That I mean, if you just saw them walking down the road, you think, that is one righteous dude, right? But it was superficial. It was external. He's saying, this is, a, this is a greater righteousness. This is a righteousness that only comes from a change in the heart, a change from within. Okay, and so there's going to be a pattern. I've picked out five different um, things in this pattern. The first one is going to be in verse 21. And the pattern is going to start with the expression, ye have heard. Ye have heard that it was said. And he's going to go back and he's going to quote um, either the Old Testament or what the, um, the rabbis then are talking about the Old Testament. So here's the first one. And again, we're thinking about hypocrisy and real righteousness as opposed to superficial. Ye have heard that it was said in old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill be in danger of the judgment. Alright? That makes sense, right? Old Testament law. That kill is murder. Right? That word is is murder. Um, you go look it up. That's the connotation. It's not manslaughter, it's not the accidental killing, it is murder. You're intending to kill. And if you intended to kill under law, you were in danger of being condemned. The sentence of judgment passed against you. Okay? And so it is easy for you and I to walk around and say, I am not a murderer. Check. Alright? That's a superficial level. Alright? That's I have never physically shot or whatever, you know, harmed somebody in that way. But Jesus is going to take that beyond the superficial level of just external, and he's going to go all the way down into your heart and tells you what is true righteousness. You've heard those said of old time, thou shalt not kill, right? But I say unto you, external, internal, I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. What was the sentence previously for murder? It says judgment, right? A sentence. You go before the tribunal, right? And they could punish you. 
Under the law, you know, punishment for murder was in your own life. Does this say that I have treated my brother badly out loud? Does this say that I've done anything to him? It's just angry without a cause. Idly angry. Right? That's a very different standard than, well, I didn't physically kill him, but I left that conversation and I was just fuming and I hate his guts and I wish him ill. Didn't say anything. Where's the sin occurring? Inside. In your heart. He's letting you know that's of the same magnitude of sin. It's just as problematic as if you physically killed them. Okay? True righteousness. Not just, I held my temper out and didn't say anything. But inside, I was really thinking it. Ever been in traffic like that? It's not good. Right? No, you haven't driven traffic yet? Give it time. Alright? Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, this is not limited to your natural brother. This is not limited to your church brother. This is that neighbor, that everybody. Even your worst enemy. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And, or moreover, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. Raka is an Aramaic word. Basically means worthless, empty-headed, vain. David's wife, Michael, Micah, however, he was bringing the ark in, remember? And he's dancing and he's singing for the Lord and they're sacrificing everything. They've done it right. Nobody's died on this trip, right? And he's just praising the Lord. What does she do? He comes inside and she, she upbraids him. So look at you. Dancing around like a vain fellow. Same concept. Worthless. Okay? So the illustration here is, okay, you didn't murder him. But you said something like that. Well, you're just, you're worthless. You're just empty-headed. You're dumb. This is a moreover, right? These are problematic things. Sometimes we get in trouble. What comes out of our mouth? Out of the heart, the mouth speaking. This is the standard of righteousness. I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in the danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Council will be, you know, that, that religious court structure, you know, the Sanhedrin, all the elders um, going before them. Now, do you think that those, that Sanhedrin heard cases about, he called me names? I, I highly doubt it, right? But he's letting you know that that's how big of a deal this is. So it's an illustration. But whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Alright, you go look at the Old Testament and you see how a fool is described. Fool I've said in his heart, there is no God. Alright, and you go read Proverbs. There is nothing positive mentioned about a fool. Alright, it is all scorn and heaping upon, you know, so it's bad enough to call somebody empty-headed, but to call them a fool is basically, I mean, this is a big deal. Um, and that's what it says, you know, should be in danger of hell fire. And that word hell, hell there is a Guiana, um, which is a reference back to the Valley of Hinnom. That's where they used to burn their children to their false god, Moloch. It's right next door to Jerusalem. It's basically, it's like a burning trash heap. Always burning or whatever. So that's what the illustration we get for you know, our, our word that we use to describe actual hell, literal hell. Um... The scribes and the Pharisees, I would bet, didn't go around murdering folks. But how did they treat others? Right? Remember that guy who was healed by Jesus? It was in John. And they're trying to interrogate him. 
He's been blind and he didn't really believe it. And his parents come and say, he's of age, you know, you ask him. And they ask him again, what happened? He says, why do you want me to tell you again? Do you want to be his disciples also? And they say, you're his disciples. We're disciples of Moses. And he says, well, here's a great thing that, you know, man who's done this wonderful work, you know, how can he be, you know, a sinner? Because um, the Lord doesn't hear sinners. And they respond to him back to him. He says, thou art altogether born in thy sins. They have said that this man here who was, you know, previously a beggar and blind who had this miracle, they distinguish him as he's different. You were born altogether in sin. What's implied in that? That they weren't. Right? How about the rich young ruler who came to ask Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Talks about the commandments. I've kept all these from my youth. (laughs) But he probably thought he had. And maybe at a superficial level, he was checking the box. But down at the heart level, we're not. So this is the higher standard. If you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, you know, I'm depraved. I desire not to be angry in my heart. Not to say things that are vile or foolish, vilifying somebody. 23 starts with a therefore. Because of what we just said. Where those sins within your heart and out of your mouth against your brother. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother have ought, ought is anything against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Going through the religious motions while you've got anger and bitterness or you've treated somebody like this way. I mean, the pattern there is I've been angry without a cause. He may not even know about it. And yet, I've done. Or I've said. I know I've caused offense. Or I know that there's something between us that needs to be reconciled. You know what reconciled means? Thoroughly make different. (laughs) Y'all ever done those... uh, Kind of sharp, you know, sorry reconciliations. You ever had a hole in the wall? You just put a little plaster over it and it's just. Don't sand it, don't paint it, nothing, just kind of. Right? It galls you every time you look at it, think about it. Really need to deal with that. Right? That's kind of half hearted reconciliation. Thorough reconciliation. Make it different. Okay? Now, to do that, we've got to have an attitude to be reconcilable, which is what the very next, next verse talks about. And you may think, well, these are two separate things. No, it's all in the same pattern. You heard before about murder, and yet agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way, lest at, that, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What does that have to do with loving my brother? If you and I are of a mind to be reconciled and have a a spirit of reconciliation, then when a dispute arises, we're eager to resolve it. This one who's not is one who's, I am willing to go to court to this to prove that I'm right. And you know what can happen sometimes when you do that? You're determined to be wrong. And the extent that you have to pay, the cost, is greater than if you just made amends earlier. Right? So, I mean, there's a real practical, for a secular reason, 98% of cases settle. Because right? there is a risk that you'll lose. And that what you'll lose is much greater. But this idea is that from your heart... Okay, you haven't murdered anybody. Good job. Now we've got to go a step farther. Am I bearing anger in my heart and bitterness? Am I saying foul things to or about others? Am 
Am I so bent out of shape and unwilling to bend and humble myself to be reconciled when there's a problem and not having the courage to deal with it? And I'm bearing this all with me? Am I going to be able to come and worship as I ought to? Nope. And if I'm so bound and determined that I have to be right and can't have any conciliation or any concession in it, am I having a spirit of meekness, hungering, thirsting after righteousness, mourning for my sins? No, I'm lifted up with pride. And, and I would suspect that if you crossed a scribe or a Pharisee and you, you know, messed up something of theirs... I'd be willing to bet they are pretty litigious. One who likes to litigate. One who likes to go to court. There are folks who enjoy that. I never was. <laughs> Even as an attorney, I, hated it. I didn't want to be there. But some folks do. They, they want to prove their point. Like jump, jump into suing somebody was their first thing. Because why? They think they're right. And proving that they're right and someone's wrong is that important. 98% of the time, when there's a issue in our lives it's not now I'm not saying to bend on the truth of God not saying that at all but most of the time we're bent out of shape it's not over something that good alright so that's our first first block and I've got five of these but again thinking in terms of hypocrisy is it just the superficial righteousness that you have or are you trying to live righteously from the heart out and that will shine out. Your light will shine there, or it'll say, "Oh, that's that's pretty dark." Right? This is not Sunday morning righteousness. This is all day and all week throughout wherever you go and interact. All right. So, second block, twenty-seven said, "You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery.'" Okay, that's true. No, go back Ten Commandments. You 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 won't. You should not commit adultery. Period. We'll stop. And so, you know, a scribe or Pharisee or someone who's living in their self-righteousness says, well, I have never done that. I have never cheated on my spouse. You know, I've never gone through with that physical act. Okay? But Jesus says, I take it to you. I say unto you. Right? He's saying something new. I'm fulfilling. I'm raising that bar to let you know from the heart out that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, he hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the next two verses continue right with this thread. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it's profitable that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Same thing with the right hand. All right. We'll just read the rest of it. Um, it hath been said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a right in divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, save him for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. All right, so you've got this. This is your second block. You've kind of got the superficial level, which, okay, you have not physically committed adultery. You may be full of pride. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but what's going on in your heart? It is very easy, particularly for men today, to commit adultery on their phones and on the computers, walking down a beach. A little children's song, be careful little eyes what you see. And in particular, because this is how we're wired to be programmed to desire things with our eyes, right? We have to guard what we see. We have to be careful. That's what it's talking about. If you're right, I offend thee. You can... Offend doesn't mean it's uh, offensive or it means it leads you to stumble. It leads you to sin. Okay? Is it painful to pluck out one's right eye? Now, clarification. Jesus is not saying to literally mutilate your body. Alright? But the idea is that if a part of your body, if you are struggling with pornography, it is worth cutting that off even if it's painful. That's what it's talking about there with your right eye. If your right eye leads you to sin, cut it off. Do what you have to do to make that inaccessible. Be uncomfortable. If your right hand is leading you to sin, and again, this is context of sexual sin. If your right hand, if you are going, touching, whatever it is, 
put it away. And this is true for all manner of sins in our life. You know the ones that you struggle with and you know the ones that you make allowance for. Right? The ones that you plan for and set up and, and lead yourself so that you can be available to do those things. Cut them off. Even if it's uncomfortable. It should be. We're told to mortify the flesh. Mortify means put it to death. Alright? Don't make provision for the flesh. Provision means putting supplies aside so that you can do that, do that wrong thing. Okay? So the superficial level is, okay, you haven't committed adultery. But are you committed in your heart? Are you having conversations or anything that's below that tier that's unfaithful to your spouse? Okay? Down in 31 it says, it hath been said, and this is kind of in the same group, lump them together, Whosoever shall put away his wife, wife, let him give her a right in a divorcement. Okay? Well, that was given because of the hardness of their hearts. Right? In the beginning, it wasn't so. God made them man and female, and they were to leave father, mother, and cleave together. And what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So if the man was going to put away his wife, at least give her a right in a divorce so that she could go and lawfully get Remarried, She wouldn't be just left in limbo. Um, but Jesus says, you don't get to do it for any reason. Right? And there's only one. Whosoever putteth away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Right? Why? Because you're still one. Right? It's not something to be lightly entered into, and it's certainly not something to lightly to be exited from. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Right. 33. Again, ye have heard and said of old time that thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform thy oaths unto the Lord. Right. Forswearing yourself means you've made a vow either to God or to someone else and sworn in God's name or on something, um, and then you lie about it. You don't follow through. Right. So we've got murder, we've got adultery, now we've got lying. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay. For whatsoever more of these cometh of evil. Okay? We can go look at other spots. We won't do that today for the sake of time. But there was being taught among the religious leaders that it depends on what you swear by. Are you swearing by the temple? Or are you swearing by the gold of the temple? And one of those, they say it's not really that big of a deal, you're not in trouble. But if you did it the other one, then that's a big deal and you're in trouble. And so the idea of are you breaking the least commandments and then teaching other men that it's okay? Yeah, there's an example of that where they were. The yay yay just means if you say yes, then your follow-through is yes. If you say no, then the follow-through is no. Right? Our word should be our bond. You should not have to swear in order for somebody to believe you. Okay? And part of that reason is that nothing you swear by belongs to you. Ultimately, you're swearing on something that's God's. And so, when you don't follow through, you've now got a double whammy. You've lied and now you've sworn by something that doesn't belong to you and it's an offense against God. Okay? And I'm sure, I don't know about you, but tends to be the folks who are trying to convince me that they're being sincere and they start swearing, they're the ones I'm least likely to trust. Let your yea be yea. Perform your oath. So, your word should be your bond. And don't look for technicalities of how I can get out. Well, yeah, well, I didn't mean it. Yeah, I was just kidding. Yeah, well, something came up. Or yeah, whatever. Don't look for the way out. Whatsoever more of these cometh of evil. Alright? Fourth category. Vengeance. 
Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that ask of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Under the law, if somebody punched you in the face and knocked out your tooth, you would go to the judge. The judge would look at it, make a determination, and that's what happened. And then somebody would knock the tooth out of the other fellow. It was a one-to-one. That's the crime. That's the punishment. If you had been injured and your eye was knocked out, the person's eye would be knocked out. That's what's being referenced. Um, However, our instructions that you resist not the evil. Resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Over in 1 Kings 22, you don't have to turn there. Micah, prophet Micah, is brought before uh, the king and some false prophets, and he's telling the king, Lords has spent, sent a lying spirit into these prophets. And that leader of them came over to him and whacked him upside the head and said, Well, where'd that lying spirit go? Tell me. You know what Micah didn't do? He didn't whack him back upside the face. Right? He stood for the truth of God and he took it. When Jesus was in his mock trial, they slapped him, they punched him, they spit upon him. He could have ended them. Didn't even need that legion of angels, right? He could have taken away their breath and would have dropped dead. But that's the pattern that he gave. The Lord has said that vengeance is mine. I will repay. Go over to Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to start reading in 9 to kind of give you the context. The general um, message in this chapter is how you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so starting in 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation is faking it. Abhor that which is evil. Abhor means to detest, hate it, despise that which is evil. Not see how close I can get to it without crossing some line. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another, as opposed to yourself, not slothful in business, not lazy, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulations, continuing instant in prayer, always praying, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. This brings us into 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Recompense means to return. That means you've received evil at their hand. Don't give it back. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, 
live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Give place means give it over to the one who has the right to deal with it. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, I've, I've heard some folks try and say, Yeah, well, that's true, and I'm his sword. No, Bubba, you're not. Therefore, because they ignore the next verse, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You're going to confuse the hound out of him too. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Where does Paul get that message? Right here. And in other places, but... Resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. You're like, what? But that's not fair! Maybe not. But these are really small matters. And they can't change the big picture. And how we respond to these small matters depends on how brightly our light does shine. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile. Now, mind you, who's in charge of Israel right now? What's the authority? Rome! They're known for their kind and generous and benevolent government, right? No! No! And there are portions of the Jewish population that wanted to rise up and kill them. The Zealots, right? That was, in fact, one of Jesus' disciples was going to be Simon Zealotes, right? He was... They wanted to overthrow them by force and by hand. Is that the marching orders that Jesus gave? Now we're close. And so if you know, a Roman soldier had the right to compel you to carry his pack for a mile? Volunteer for the second one. You say, well, this is not fun. Did you think that serving the Lord is going to be easy? What about that illustration about the man who's counting the costs? Your carnal body and mind and inclinations rebel against being obedient to Christ. Because the way he does it is very different than the way you or I would do it. Right? Somebody smacks me in the face, what did my body want to do? You know? See how hard of a roundhouse I can do? Right? It's just... Probably break my hand trying. But, that's my carnal reaction. That's what we have to control. Moderate. Self-discipline and recognize that we're not subject to those passions unrestrained anymore. We have something stronger dwelling within us. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be led by. So along the same vein, in 43 it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. Now, I was looking in Psalm 139, and this is, you know, the Psalms is writing, uh, verses 21, 22. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that uprise, that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. This is Psalm of David. And he's hating the Lord's enemies. What does Jesus tell us that we should do then? But I say unto you, so that's the pattern. You've heard, but I say. What does Jesus say? But I say, love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Y'all have heard this all your lives. We gotta start applying it. It's not enough just to hear it. Or make exceptions in our head. Yeah, Lord, but you don't know what this one did to me. Right? That sentence continues. That ye may be, or be found, the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. What is the pattern that your Heavenly Father gives with many of his blessings? Both the good and the ungood, wicked, are able to partake of them. And that's the pattern that we follow. We consistently do what's good, what's right, controlling our heart and our emotions and our reaction from the spirit of serving Him and obedience to Him and being subordinate to His will rather than lashing out and being petty or holding on to bitterness and anger and grudges and all those things because of some piddling thing that's been done unto us. That we may be found the children of God, that we may be the children of God, children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Four, if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. Same concept there. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Perfect means mature, complete. Doesn't mean you're going to reach a state of sinlessness. But he says, okay, you love folks that are good to you. Everybody does that. But if you as a child of God, born of God, who's called to be salt in the different... Salt has to taste different from the other stuff, right? Light means it's in darkness. If you're doing the non-tasting and dark stuff only, what good is it? There's no light shown. There's no good work shown that's glorifying your Father. And so only saluting those that are good to you. Salute means welcome. You look like me, you act like me, you think like me, welcome. As opposed to saluting even your enemy. Be ye kind. And this is more than that frigid civility that us Southerners are good at. Bless your heart. We're so happy you're here. And our looks can say, go jump in a freezer. This is real. This is serving to the Lord. Good to see you. Right? Wishing well. Praying for somebody. Now, praying for somebody doesn't mean praying them harm. Right? It goes back to that attitude to beginning with, right? Blessing, doing good, praying for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is radically different than groups on the outside will advocate for. Okay? I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Talking heads up there on the left and the right are trying to get you to hate somebody. Whether they're from a different country, or have a different status, or have a different color of their skin, or they want you to hate yourself because of the color of your skin. Whatever it is, they're sowing strife and division and hatred. Oh, everything's being run by these evil people. We get to hate them. This is not coming from Christ. It's not. 
Do we have wicked sinners in abundance as leaders? Yeah. But we don't hate them. We don't vilify them. We pray for them. Pray the Lord we would change their hearts, defeat their plans, or allow us to live quiet and peaceable lives. And sometimes it's easier to hate that which is far off. But if we're in a pattern of hating that which is far off and those that we don't know, that's going to affect us here in our lives too. Because we've opened that door for it. Part of the reason we come to church and study God's Word is to recalibrate to what did God actually say and what does He expect of us. Because it doesn't take long for me and for you to get a skewed sense. And it depends on what we're inputting, right? We've got data coming in all the time. And so what we're inputting will affect what we think is upright and true and proper. This is the standard. This is Christ speaking. But I say unto you, you don't get to ignore that. You don't get to argue with it. You may say, I don't understand it fully. Okay, fair enough. Go study the rest of His Word to see if you can understand it better. That's not an excuse to stop. I disagree with it. Tough. What you think or feel or want does not override God's Word. Period. Full stop. And until we're willing to bend that portion of our life before the Lord's throne, we're going to have a hard time. Because we're still lifted up with pride against the God of the universe. And we claim to follow and be a servant. But He's bought me. We sing about His blood and how He's so great. But if we're not willing to bend our whole life to Him, then we're still in rebellion. And there's nothing positive ever in Scripture mentioned positive about rebellion. It's as the sin of witchcraft. This probably rocked the listener's ears. And they said this, I mean, at the end of it, said he, he taught. As no one else had taught before. He taught as one having authority. Did he have authority? Yeah! Does he have authority over your life? Whether you acknowledge it or not, yes. Will you be happy, healthier, and wealthier if you obey? <laughs> yes. Because he'll chasing you in the meantime because he loves you. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. Don't take that one snippet out of context. Let us not be guilty, one, of ignorantly doing these things. Sometimes we do things because we just don't know any better, or we're trying not to think about it. That ain't an excuse. <coughs> but the bigger overarching here is let us not be these actors playing a part at being religious Christians. Doesn't do anybody a lick of good. Show up for every service, sing the songs, pray, listen attentively. But if we're not going and living this out moment by moment, being convicted where we're not, repenting then and going forward and continually daily battling against the flesh and struggling, desiring to please the Lord, if we're not doing those things, then we're really no better than those scribes or Pharisees. Or if it's just for an outward show, if I'm coming because of what you think, y'all, your, your brothers and sisters are not the 
you know, the audience. They're not here to judge you. You know, what are they wearing? Do they come in, come today? Are they on time? Whatever, right? I came because I was worried about somebody thought. That's not who we're concerned about. Okay, we stand or fall before the Lord. He's the one that we have to report to. So you do what's right for His sake. Now, do you minister to your brothers and saints, brothers and sisters? Yes, absolutely. But not because you want to be thought of by them. And so if we have this mindset that I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to serve Him from the heart outward, our actions outward should look different. One, the Pharisee level is bare minimum, right? I'm doing just what's required to keep that whitewash on my grave. As opposed to a life that's breaking forth out of every channel that you have of that light and that salt and that love so that whenever someone is around you, they know. I don't know anything else about this person, but man, do they love the Lord. Man, are they different. Man, are they weird. We should be weird in a good way. If you love the Lord, and day by day you're serving Him and you're taking care of people because of Him, even if they're unkind to you, even if that cop who pulled you over really didn't have a right to pull you over and gave you that ticket, and you're still respectful anyway, rather than laying into them. And y'all can insert all sorts of illustrations here, but the idea is even when you're done wrong to, continue to do what's right. And not giving in to that carnal nature, that carnal spirit within us that is so quick to want to jump in the driver's seat. And often we're really ready for it because we'd like to experience that pleasure of sin for a little season, right? May we chew on this. The Lord help us to apply it. Anybody have a number yet? Same closing?